What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter so come through and big thanks to produce row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the fuck out of all of the people that have already taken the time to do so. And yeah, just can't stress the importance of those 
iTunes reviews. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. The podcast is available on Spotify now, so if that's your preferred spot to listen, you can uh, check it out there. And I've also been dropping some monthly playlists as well. Every first of the month, those have been coming out, and they're pretty spread out genre-wise from singer-songwriter stuff to psych rock and rap and hip-hop jazz it's uh it's pretty it's pretty wide i'd say and if you don't like to keep it that wide that's not your jam there's some genre specific ones up there as well which are pretty much just compilations of the the monthly playlist just more broken up into specific genres so all of that is there the link will be in the uh, episode notes there for the spotify profile and for the Dan Cable Presents mugs and t-shirts, all of that is there. Hope everybody is doing well out there. I'm super stoked to get in to episode 285. Together, Pangea from Los Angeles, California are on the show. And it was really cool to get to chat with William and Danny I've been following this band for the last few years or so, and I think the the tunes are just really great, and their new record, Die, is killer. It's been out for a month or two now, and uh, it's some of my favorite songs from the band are, are definitely on the record, and, and we talk about that record and, and kind of the whole band history in in this chat that I had with these dudes and I just think that their take on rock and roll and the way that they bring in the elements of punk rock and psych rock to these really catchy choruses and just great songwriting is is something that I really dig and I feel super fortunate that I got to talk with these dudes a few weeks back and we just kind of dive into the whole thing so that's what's in store for you this week i'll definitely include the together pangea links in the episode notes so you can keep up with these dudes if uh if you're not familiar with them i'd encourage you to go back and and check out the whole collection of tunes i'd tell you to purchase a copy of their new record die on vinyl but it looks like they're all sold out so you're just gonna have to scour your local record stores and see if you can find a copy there but uh yeah, definitely give these dudes a follow and add them to your your playlist if you dig what you hear. If you're new to the programming here and you and you dig this conversation, I would encourage you to go back and, and check out some previous episodes, usually covering all genres of music on this thing, talking to different bands and artists, musicians. And every other Wednesday, I'm also dropping episodes of i dig records in this feed which is uh, usually myself and my cousin doing the deep dive on a record but lately i've been having some guest co-hosts so the last one that i did was with my buddy andy sado who is a singer songwriter out of denver colorado and we talked about one of his favorite albums of all time which is the randy newman good old boys from 1974 so that is the most recent volume of i dig records that is available in this feed so stay tuned for those every other wednesday and regular episodes of the podcast 
every Friday. If you are a Portland, Oregon local and you want to see some free live music, Produce Row Cafe in Southeast Portland has got you covered every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And every Sunday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. There's free music going on over there, either a a singer-songwriter, folk duo, We've got some jazz trios out from time to time and uh, also a lot of DJs going on over there. So December coming up this Wednesday over there at Produce Row, December 8th, we've got Jeff Chilton who uh, is there every month. He's always got this really great trio. Jeff's been on the podcast before. He's uh, an incredibly kind dude and uh, he's also a killer trombone player and an overall musician so he's over there on december 8th and uh, he's become a, a crowd favorite over there and then on december 15th dead lee is back folk americana duo and december 22nd yours truly will be uh djing at produce row little ernie moose dj set so stay tuned for all that. The, the links for Produce Row and all the other sponsors will be in the episode notes. My dog is losing his mind right now because someone is at the door. And uh, we are going to get into this thing. Appreciate y'all for uh, for tuning in. Big thanks again to William and Danny for doing the thing. Super stoked. I got to connect with these dudes and we are going to get into episode 285 of the podcast with Together Pangea. We're going to kick it off with uh, one of my favorite tracks off of the Die album and also a track included on my August playlist. It's called Marijuana. Let's do the damn thing.
super stoked to have the opportunity to chat with you guys. I'm uh, stoked to talk about the, the new record, Die, it, that just re- recently dropped, but uh, would love to start at kind of the, the beginning of, of how Together Pangea got going. I was uh, telling William just a few minutes ago that I grew up in Southern California, like in the Inland Empire, Riverside area, so not too far down the road from... Oh where you all grew up and uh, started playing music together. So what do you guys remember about uh, getting this thing going? Um, hmm, where to start? We, uh, like, I had been writing and recording music as Pangea for a little while before I met Danny. And then um, Danny and I started playing together, and we auditioned Eric to play drums at some point. Um, which was funny. Essentially, we had like, I mean, William and I probably played music together for like three years before Eric came into the fold. Um, I think I probably first met William in like 2005, 2006. And uh, Eric joined the band. I, I probably started playing music with William in 2007 and Eric joined the band 2008 2009 actually i probably started playing music with william in like 2005 2006 now that i think about it and then then eric Eric joined and uh i was going to cal arts at the time and uh i had a studio at cal arts because i was in the art program and although everybody in the art program got their own studio space and that just sort of became like rehearsals slash party space um where we would you know, throw shows and get together and play music and stuff. Yeah. Did you guys know each other in high school before you started playing music together? No, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit older than Danny is. Uh, I didn't go to high school either. Okay. Um, but I was still in high school when William and I met, but, uh, we played a show together. His old band Venus diode played, uh, it's like a coffee shop in the parking lot. They set up a stage, and his band, I th- I think this is how it worked. Your band played outside in the parking lot on the stage, and then we played after you to, you know, 10 people inside after you played this big show outside. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then we, we I, I think we just started hanging out after that, and then eventually we started playing together. I actually, like, that specific time i tried to like introduce myself to william and he like wasn't down to like (laughs) talk (laughs) but i ended up like hanging out with william's twin brother instead that day like it was in this there's this parking lot area where there's like a like you know how they have like in like imagine like a suburban neighborhoods like a mini mall maybe yeah. like and there's there's like an area where they keep all the dumpsters for yeah, all yeah. the businesses you know and it's like kind of behind like a fence wall thing so we're like i don't know 17 16 definitely not legal drinking age but we had 40s and so we like hopped into that area William's twin <laughs> brother and I and like drank the 40s in there because it was hidden and secure absolutely um, <laughs> that's like sa- it was a, a lot sa- of... it was a safe space for us to be uh consuming alcohol so I mean a lot of the suburbs is like finding places to drink like or smoke weed or whatever you want to do and I think the dumpster was a spot 
there was also the, like the washes, which I wouldn't really know how to explain that to people not from the LA area. What a wash. Yeah. We had, yeah. we did like an interview not long ago where this guy like was very confused by us calling it a wash. Basically like for those who are listening that aren't in Southern California or California or an area where there's washes, it's basically like a dry lake bed or oh, sorry, dry riverbed. Um, that the city has gone in and like paved the <laughs> banks to, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And you could just kind of hide. It'd be like under a bridge in the wash or whatever. And you'd hang out there to like avoid police or society or whatever. Yeah. But after you, uh, after you finally got William to hang a bit, did you guys hit it off pretty quickly? I remember like we met again, like at the smell, which is like a venue in Los Angeles. Um, there's a band, I think it was to see the Meishi play. Um, and we had a mutual friend, Nick Ziegler, who ended up like, I, I went to the show with some guys who were in another band that was local in Santa Clarita. Uh, I, I went down with them, but I ended up like, seeing nick who ended up being like hey come over here and hang out with us and it was like william was there and his brother and uh this whole crew of people that we used to spend a lot of time with and um yeah i think that was kind of like after that i think i got william's phone number and that was sort of how it we started hanging out i want to say that was, that was probably like 2005 2006 yeah and the the smell was like all ages punk club so that was kind of the place to to hang out and you know meet people not from the suburb you were from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you remember which one of you initiated kind of to play music with one another? I think it just happened naturally. Like Danny, I feel like you used to just carry an acoustic guitar around or something. Well, Maybe. what it was what it was was like we were we both started just hanging out at our friend's house in Silmar, which was kind of like a flop house, uh, yeah, which was. was gnarly down the just down the street from william's like family's house um like a few a few city blocks down the way or whatever and um it was just kind of like the place to hang out and everybody would just sort of like play music together there and like sing songs and like without shoes on and like a lot of birkenstocks yeah a lot of birkenstocks (laughs) stuff like that like that was kind of the vibe you know, um, and I think that just William and Adrian would play together. Uh, Ad- so, okay, so William started Pangea with our friend Adrian, um, I don't know, 2003, William or something, 2004. I don't know. Yeah, long, long time, time ago. And uh, I started playing music with Adrian and William, like, separately, like, initially, I think. Like, I would meet up with William and we'd hang around, hang out at his parents' house and like jam or whatever. And I would also like, I also was in a band with Adrian, like a punk band. Um, and uh, it just sort of like, I don't know if we just, the CalArts stuff, as soon as I started going to CalArts, uh, well, Adrian was already going to CalArts. So we were just playing shows there and it was just sort of whoever was around would sort of play with each other. And I just sort of like fell into playing with William. Yeah, were you guys both doing a lot of songwriting at at that time? Danny had a solo project called Rushdish Vanya. Is that right? Am I pronouncing that correctly? 
I had like a lot of solo <laughs> projects, but that was one of them. Yeah. I had like, you had like a million songs. I had a bunch of songs that I was fucking around. I don't know. I was just like, I got a four track. I actually it was clean. like those blue Tascam four tracks. Yeah. And oh, I was yeah. actually, I got a, I was cleaning out my, uh, my girlfriend and I just uh, in the house that we live in, we switched rooms from my old bedroom to this other bedroom in the house recently. And when we were doing that, I found a box full of cassette tapes and one of them is labeled like Christmas 2004. So that's like around the time probably that I got a four track. So all I was doing was like making music on a four track in my bedroom of my childhood home you know and i and then I, I remember like hanging out with william and seeing he had like the same four track and stuff and like swapping like you know oh here's how you like bounce a song or whatever like nice. just nerding out on like you know which back then i remember like going to guitar center and those four tracks costed like nothing back then and that's not the case anymore they're actually kind of expensive now I don't even think you could buy them like a guitar center or anything. I don't think people really use those anymore now that digital recording is so cheap. Yeah. But they're cool. They sound weird. A lot of white noise. They can sound really cool. It's just a little bit harder to work with. Yeah. So there but, were um, there was like some common ground and common interests amongst your, your yeah. musical tastes and like kind of digging into different production and, and things of that nature. Yeah, totally. pretty yeah. much. That's kind of like how it kicked off, I'd say. And then we just played like, you know, uh, at CalArts and, you know, house shows and stuff like that. And then eventually clubs and then eventually just, yeah, touring and all that stuff. We really wanted to play The Smell. And um, we, you know, would get asked to play shows at The Smell every once in a while. And then we would get asked to play shows at other spots in LA, like Echo Curio was a place we played a good amount. And um which isn't around anymore. That was a cool spot. Yeah. But we would just play like a lot of it really just started like Cal Arts was like a sort of hub. Like um every week we could have a show yeah. at Cal Arts and invite bands from LA. Um it's funny, I actually I play in a, a like this is an example of like the sort of how the it was like sort of like a real part of the LA music scene, even though it was North, you know, like an hour North of LA. Um, I play in a, a band, a country band with our friend Elvis, who's in the band Fiddler and okay. our uh, current guitar player, Brandon is also from that band Fiddler. But I, not long ago, I was on Facebook and I somehow like clicked my messages from Elvis. And the first message I ever had from Elvis was like 2008, him hitting me up for like fiddler to play a show at cal arts with us nice so like that's awesome um there was just definitely like you know like it started at cal arts like playing shows there all the time and then it sort of slowly crept down to los angeles you know like we'd get asked to play shows and make the drive and stuff yeah so would you attribute like that cal arts community a lot to being able to like keep things pretty diy and not getting sucked into the like the pay-to-play fuckery of of la yeah we lucked out we never did pay to play anything because yeah i guess we would just throw shows and cal arts did help with that a lot because there was a space to do it i don't think they let kids do it anymore because there was a lot of like 
by the time we had stopped playing there, there was like some drama and kids like. I think we kind of sort of ruined it, honestly. Like, yeah. my, not us as a band, but my class. Um, like there was CalArts before, before, like leading up to my class. I think my class was the last year of like anything goes kind of vibes at the school. Like we would literally be able to be like, oh, this band's in town. Do you guys want to play like tomorrow night? Like we'll find an empty gallery or an empty, or somebody who's out of town and use their studio and post about it on MySpace and get whoever, you know, as many people as we can to come and it doesn't matter. As far as musical sensibilities, was there anything that you guys kind of like recognized in each other early on that made you want to play music with each other aside from just getting along? I think at that time we, we had similar tastes. I think we were both really into K records then. Okay. Which is near where you are is where they're. Yeah near near portland um uh yeah we were into like little wings a lot uh kyle field um we play those songs together and then i think our tastes as musicians as people too have kind of just developed together since then like we always play each other stuff we always hear stuff um yeah but i think it was a like similar approach to music that that initially was why we started playing together yeah and we're uh we're both of you pretty all in even at that point on like that music is what you wanted to do or did that kind of just happen yeah i don't think i ever wanted to do anything else i think it was the it's the i've always just been doing it and i always will i'm sure but uh we never really had like conversations about like this is what we want like i remember when we first started meeting with like you know, music business people and they would ask us what our plan was or where we wanted to get to or what we wanted to do. And we would, we would never really have an answer Yeah, because we'd never talked about it with each other. We were just like, Oh, we're, we're doing it. We just play together and right. we book shows and we, that's just what we do. I remember William, you, you used to specifically be kind of like against the idea though of like music as a, like a job. I just didn't believe that it was, I always thought that if you started thinking about it, like it's got to pay for stuff for mm-hmm. me, then it would change the approach or change how you did stuff. So I was really reticent to uh, to think of it that way. Even when we were like signing with a major label, I was like, nah, nah I don't know about this. Yeah. If this will, yeah. and it's not like it's like some great financial decision or anything. I feel like weird telling people like, oh, yeah, I'm a musician. And then they're like, oh, what what band are you in? Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. People immediately, like, I think, assume or think that because music's what you do, that you, like, have money or something. And I don't think that they realize it's actually, like, the last few years, you know, we've actually kind of made the equivalent of, like, had we worked, like, a minimum wage job full time or something. And it's very much like this lower to middle class um, set of musicians and artists that, that live in that world. Like not ever, if you're a musician, you're not either like the broke musician on the street or the rock star. Like there's a big space in between. Yeah, it is. I think that like the rest of society is kind of, there's like a stratification, like there's the haves and the haves right. not have nots. And like, music is very much the same like like if you're really big i'm sure you make 
like a ton of money and it's very like whatever. But then the, for the most part, people do it because they care about it and, you know, have to scrape by, which, you know, I don't know. I, I, I heard that back when people bought CDs, you could you could sort of live off of selling right. CDs. Um, but people don't do that do that anymore. They just stream stuff. Um, so you only really make money off of shows and and merch and stuff, um, which is also cool. I mean, we like playing shows and and we like making merch and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't want to complain about anything. You know, you can't play shows all the time, like especially if, last year. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, aside from that, like, it's like, you know, we can't, it's still not really a full time thing. It's like you tour a few months out of the year. Um, yeah. You know, so, I mean, I work other jobs. Like, it's, you know, music is one of my jobs. Yeah. Is it a, is it a trip though for you guys that like this thing starts like in a bedroom and you now it's, you, it's taking you kind of all over the states and some parts of the world and whatnot? Yeah, it's always cool to like, you know, go to a club in Berlin or whatever and have, you know, a couple hundred people show up or whatever and sing along to the songs. I mean, that feels crazy uh, and it's really cool. Yeah. Did you guys, was there like a certain point where you noticed this significant shift in the LA area where just lots of people were starting to show up to see you that you didn't know and were kind of outside your your friendship group? It's kind of hard to pinpoint. I just feel like all at once, like, well, I guess it was, it was like back in probably 2012 or something like that when we started getting asked to play a lot of shows and to like open for bands that we were stoked on. Um, That was probably like, when stuff went from like, oh, we're just playing like an art gallery to like, oh, cool, we're opening up for this artist that we all really are influenced yeah. by. And I think like once we did, we went from like doing a lot of like our own sort of DIY shows to getting asked to play these like slightly bigger shows. And sort of like once we finished playing all those shows, that's when um, I think, you know, we'd, we'd play like a local show and notice, oh shit, there's like people here that we don't know so that's like right around the time then or just thereafter living dummy is put out yeah it's an old it's an old record we we recorded that record with our friend andrew schubert in like i think we recorded it even like probably like 2009 so it's definitely like a it's a good like window into you know yeah we recorded it in like late 2010 or something um but yeah, that that was a big record. We did uh, our last what was it three albums with Andrew Schubert. So we did uh, Living Dummy with him, and we did Battle Act with him, and we did Bulls and Roosters with him. And so like that kind of thing, it it kind of just felt the same when we would get into a studio and record with Andrew. Uh, like none of that other stuff happening, like the shows getting bigger, us starting to make money from the shows or like people we didn't know saying hi to us on the street or whatever, like none of that. It felt like it didn't really affect what went on just when we were recording with Andrew because it was just the same kind of 
kind of Ohio. there was some sort of a shift in approach going into Badalock. I mean, I know that you had worked with Andrew previously, but honestly, honestly, no, because now, yeah, it was the exact same thing. It was the exact same thing because the whole story of Badalock is that we, we recorded the whole album with Andrew before we had any major label interest. And, um, you know, we had basically ha- the the album was done. It was recorded, and then we yeah, also the only- we, we did a different version with this guy who uh, called us in to like try some more some things slightly differently. But like, um, we ended up having you know a couple different versions of these same songs, and what we went with was the version that we made prior to any major label interest. You know, yeah. Th- so we had the album done and. I think that album sounds really good because it was both done really kind of like DIY, how we do stuff. And then once Harvest was interested, they paid um, this to mix it. They paid uh, Chenzo Townsend, who did a really good job mixing it. And when we got the record back after it was mixed, it sounded it sounded great. And I, he did, he did a really good job. Um, it was crazy too. Cause it was like, yeah, like battle act we recorded over the course of a year, like maybe even longer, you know, like probably 2012 to 2013. Um, and then it came out. The first thing that came out was snake dog and offer in 2013. And then the album came out in 2014, like beginning of 2014. So, um, I mean, we might have even started Badalack, honestly, at the end of 2011. I don't even know. We, we were, It took us a while, and it was just us going in whenever Andrew had time and doing a song or two, like, here and there. And so it was really the same exact process as everything else that we had done prior. We didn't have this moment where, like, oh, we signed to a major label. They're giving us a bunch of money to yeah. go into a studio. Like, the, the album was already done. Yeah. Battlelock was my my intro to your band that that title track and uh it was just like a few years ago I was listening to some band and just kind of put hit the create station and uh Battlelock came up and I was just like really intrigued by the the artwork aside from the music and I was just like oh this is like a really fucking cool cover and I gotta like hear more of this music and that was right around the time I guess bulls and roosters came out so um yeah yeah just been digging in ever since and uh yeah with the track like Badalack which is like one of the more popular tunes I guess in the catalog is that something that you recognize something special is happening even before it gets out to people um, I don't know. We feel like uh, I kind of wrote that on acoustic guitar. It was more like, let's try something different. Like, I didn't know if it w- would work with the band or not. 
because we were playing songs that were like typically twice as fast as that song. But um, I don't think we ever got the impression like, oh, this is this is it or anything. We just I think that we all liked that song a lot when we recorded it, which I know now usually means that other people will also like it. So like the songs that we typically like the most on records end up being the songs that other people like the most too, um, which makes sense. Um, but I don't remember specifically having any, any feeling that, that people were going to like it any more than any of the other songs. Like throughout the, the catalog of tunes you guys have always presented like this really cool balance between like great songwriting and just like the raw punk rock energy seems like it's all been there from the beginning and maybe Badalak is like the first look at something maybe a little poppier and there's a little there's a little more of that like the hookier moments we can get into on on die but then you also have like something like why on that record which is one of my favorite jams and kind of has like those brian jonestown feels to it and the stoner rock stuff yeah totally we i think because like we started out basically as like a diy punk band like playing house shows and and stuff like that like our goal was always to get the audience to like engage so it was like writing songs to get people to mosh and I think that by the time we were doing Battle Act, we were interested in, in, in writing songs that, you know, maybe people wouldn't mosh to or wouldn't mosh to right away. Uh, and we were thinking more about the song craft, I think. Uh, and we are giving ourselves, like, allowing ourselves to just, like, yeah, slow down a little bit, try different stuff. So with Bulls and Roosters, was that that record where you kind of get to like make it in a little bit more of like a concise time period and and have an allotted studio time set aside and not have to kind of like piece things together whenever there was just time to do it? Kind of. I I feel like we never even we've never we weren't really able to do that until we started working um, with our current uh producer engineer studio guy danny nagaris all around studio <laughs> guy studio guy uh we i think even through bulls and roosters it was still a bit more of the same like let's do a few songs when we have the time and when things make sense it wasn't like a dedicated like okay for the month of january we're gonna be in the studio 
Yeah, actually, die was the first time we did that. We blocked out a month. Or dispassionate um, or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. But die was like the whole month and we went in like nine to five, basically, maybe a little bit more than that and worked on it. As far as like initial ideas for your tunes, have those always come from the both of you or is one of you often bringing the bones to a song to the band? It's mostly, I, mostly William. Yeah. I, I usually like write stuff on acoustic guitar and then we'll flush it out with the band. Uh, but then on bulls and roosters, there's songs that Danny wrote on acoustic guitar and then we flushed out that and die. There's songs I wrote songs, Eric wrote, but again, mostly it's uh William and there are there are moments, you know, that it's a group effort, but I'd say like, you know, ninety percent of the songwriting just comes from William on acoustic guitar. Yeah, and I mean everybody writes their own parts uh, and then we usually like build on stuff. Yeah, I love the the guitar tones on all the records too. They seem to be pretty different from one another, especially with the shift from like Battleac to Bulls and Roosters. Is that like a situation where maybe like a new pedal will or a tone will sometimes inspire a, a whole batch of tunes when you get into the production of things. I mean, I think like with Battleaxe specifically, we're in a very fancy studio that uh, none of us had any business even being in, to be honest. Uh, our buddy Andrew would literally sneak us in <laughs> to, uh, he worked for pro probably the most famous mixer in the world. And um, we would go in to record there literally like 10 p.m. to 4 or 5 a.m. Um, you know, yeah. pol polar opposite of the regular operating hours of that studio just because he kind of had the okay from his boss. Like, you know, as long as the space was as it was and, you know, normal for whatever client was going to be in there the next day, it was fine. So we had access to a lot of insane instruments and pedals and things that we wouldn't have otherwise had access to that I think we sort of yeah. fucked around with a lot. And with the later stuff, um, bulls and roosters on, it ended up being more our own gear. Um, not like exclusively, but I think that, you know, most things that are on the new record are on, you know, Eric's uh, or William's uh, guitar boards, you know, pedal boards. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Kenmore Ave is one of my favorites off of Bulls and Roosters and just like love how those bright chords kind of bring life to the, the upbeat chorus. And Danny, you just like shred on the on the bass, man. It's uh, it's fun to listen to your, your parts. And that seems to be like one of those songs that you go super hard is that something you took to early on because i know william said you were kind of the, the dude that always had like an acoustic guitar on you so when did you start diving into the bass it was like on i mean it's like it was on it was on accident you know it was like basically william asked me to play bass i think at one show and then i my brother owned a ibanez bass that i got for christmas in like you know third grade or something like that and I played with that just for a long time, like through all the living dummy through probably even into battle act. I was playing with that thing. Um, uh, I don't know. I just uh, started trying to treat it like a lead instrument. Um, 
like very influenced by Paul McCartney's bass playing, uh, Paul Simonon from The Clash. Uh, so it's, you know, just trying to be sort of like, treat it like a lead instrument as much as possible, but also keep it as rhythmic as possible. Kenmore is a, a one that I, I wrote that song. And when I wrote it, I specifically was trying, I was listening to like a lot of Neil Young and a lot of The Clash. So I was trying to actually like rhythmically do what Neil Young does on Harvest a lot, which is this like thing that William actually uh, sort of uh, pointed out to me that I got really into was just like when the bass directly follows the kick drum or vice versa, um, which if you listen to Harvest, that's kind of like across the entire record. Like that's just sort of how the grooves are. They're really like spacious grooves with, there's a lot of space, but a lot of the low end is like in sync with the kick. Like the kick and the bass are like together almost always throughout that whole record. So that's like what I was going for with Kenmore was to have that same sort of um, landscape, musical landscape of, uh, but you know, sped up and more like the style of like the clash kind of was the, that was the intent. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu, their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. And William, are you writing all the lyrics? Um, no, I, well, most of them, most, mostly I write the lyrics and melodies and stuff, but that song, uh, Kenmore, Danny wrote the lyrics and melodies and chords and stuff. And on the new record, Eric has two songs that he wrote the lyrics and chords and melodies to, uh, Little Line and Ghoul. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah, like Living Dummy and Battleac. It's all, I wrote all the lyrics for for those and, and most of the lyrics on the last two records also. Yeah, and are you are you the type of person that doesn't like to show anybody your lyrics until they're absolutely complete or pretty, pretty well there? I like try to, I don't like to overthink it 
Because if I think about like, oh, I'm saying this thing that, you know, who knows how many people are going to hear, like, I don't want to overthink it. So usually I'm just strumming the guitar and I'll start singing something and in, you know, in a melody. And if it fits, I'll just be like, all right, that's fine. That's it. And then I'm not really worried about playing it for people. I'm not going to write it out and like be like, Danny, yeah. what do you think of these words I'm saying? Like, I'll just sing it. And, you know, I think that the melody has to carry it as much as what I'm what I'm saying. So, and I can usually get a vibe for, you know, how Danny and Eric feel about a song when I bring it. Like, there's definitely times I've come and played something I was excited about, and they both, like, didn't give a shit, and it was clear, and I was like, all right, this one's no good. Uh, but, yeah, like, I try to I, I try to not over, overthink the lyrics. I try, I, I, I want them to be sincere and, and simple, I guess. Yeah, there's, like, there's moments of editing and stuff, but, like, it's pretty much, I'd say, like, you know, most, William's got it mostly developed by the time it gets to the point that we're recording vocals. But you're very much like open to like consulting with other people within the band of like, ah, like if I can't get this line finished or something or if something's just not hitting, maybe someone else has the right idea for it. I think that that's I think that's happened. But, yeah. you know, yeah, I don't think it's like a super common. There's like there's times where like I'll play a song and Eric and Danny will laugh about some shit and I'll be like, all right, like like I'll get uncomfortable with it. But it doesn't happen that often that that they critique yeah. the lyrics, you know. Um, so l- luckily, that's worked out, I guess. Yeah, I di- I dig your approach with the the lyrics and the the vocal delivery and maybe some of the more cheeky stuff that like shows up sometimes, especially on a song like Alabama off a of die. You got the the line about <clears throat> selling the camera because you're an ass and. I think I think lines like that yeah. have like such a a cool effect in their delivery. Yeah, I, I I honestly really try not to like overthink it. Like I'm not like you know like super wordy with stuff. I'm not usually telling a story. That's that song's a little bit of a story. Um but yeah, I I'm yeah, it's it's all about not overthinking it and trying to just stay um sincere but I, I do like the idea of like singing something that's like a joke or that I think is funny uh, even in like a song that sounds really sincere So did you guys have a lot of die written before the pandemic started or did this all happen within? I think we, we had most of it written. Um, we went on our last tour and it just, I don't know, Bulls and Roosters was a different kind of album. I think we wrote it for ourselves and it was without intent of like getting the crowd stoked or whatever. And we went on tour in 2019 and I was like, kind of want to write songs that are 
a little bit louder and, and, you know, excite, you know, the audience a little bit more. And so I had started thinking about that in 2019, started kind of like focusing on that while writing. Um, and then the pandemic happened and also our, uh, I guess is John our A&R person? I don't really know. John Granite from Network. Yes, he is. Um, he, we sent him some demos and he was like, this is good, but you guys can do better. And so we kept writing. Yeah, and they so actually like, they kind of, they kind of like held our uh, <laughs> network kind of like held our studio funds and like advance money, like a uh, hostage until we hit a certain number of <laughs> demos. <laughs> yeah. Which was actually cool. It was like, I, I enjoyed that challenge. It was like, all right, like nobody's ever asked us to work mm. harder. So it was kind of cool. So I think I think we we hit them up like when we're like, hey, we got thirteen songs. Can we get some money to go make a record? And yeah, John kind of was like, yeah, twenty eight, <laughs> and then we'll like we'll talk again. Like hit me up when you got twenty eight songs, and we we did. We hit him up again when we got twenty eight songs, and so that stuff like Alabama, I think, was written after that, and one way or another, um. And those were during the pandemic, like at home uh, writing. But so it's like a little bit half and half, maybe. So was that the first time that you guys made a record where you trimmed a bunch of initial song ideas then? No, we always do that. Like, uh, I think Badalak had 20 plus songs, right, Danny? 20 yeah, plus. No, and we I had think, a lot. Like, Living Dummy also had, I think, 20 plus songs. Bulls and Roosters didn't, though. Bulls and Roosters, I think, had um, it's kind of long. I think that Bulls and Roosters, I think we had like three extra songs. So Bulls and Roosters, I think, was probably the first one where it was like just under twenty songs. We had like eighteen songs, probably or seventeen. Um, I don't really know why that is. I think that was just, I don't know. I felt really solid about Bulls and Roosters at the time. I think it was because like we were making an album more for yeah. us, like William said. Than, uh, yeah, I still feel really solid about that album. Yeah, it was like more, it was an album that we made, I think, you know, catering to our own tastes a little more than um, what we think, you know, or thought that fans might enjoy. Yeah, I've uh, I've got that one right behind me. I found, I've, I found that I at uh, noticed, Music yeah. Millennium <laughs> here in Portland a few weeks ago. So, um, yeah, and oh, man, cool. money on it is... Uh, that's like a song that I'll throw in at like DJ sets that I do. Like anytime there's a party, like money on it oh, is cool. uh, is got to be in the rotation. And I think that's like such an like another one of those songs where it, like you really leaned into something really hooky, but then you like maintain all this character by keeping it loud and and screamy at time, which like gives it all of its character still. Yeah, it, uh, that song's interesting. We recorded it a little fast, and so we actually like digitally slowed it down. And uh, Andrew Schubert, uh, at the time, who you know produced with us and engineered and stuff, was like really not down to slow it down because it like degrades the quality of the sound or whatever. We're not really audiophiles, so we were just like, whatever, can we slow it down? Um, so now I think if you tried to, if you tune your guitar normally correctly or whatever and then you try to play along that song it doesn't sound right because it's like slightly out of pitch or whatever um 
but yeah, that that I feel like that's our whole thing is to try to give energy to songs that are essentially just like poppy. Like it's just a collection of hooks. I mean, that's my hooks are just you know my favorite thing. Uh, I, probably everybody else feels the same way. EP, the Sleeping Tell Sunset, like had any effect as far as informing some of that that songwriting that that came about on uh, Die. I don't know. It like because all the songs start out acoustic, so that it wasn't like I feel like Sleeping Till Sunset was more just a window into the process more than it was like changing anything. Um, the songs start out a little bit more simple. Like, uh, friend of nothing on the acoustic one is, uh, simplified. Like there's a whole section taken out of it and stuff. And that section is something that we wrote as a band. Um, and I think, yeah, that it was more just like peeling back the layers than it was like, yeah, like a different thing or, or I don't, I don't know that it informed anything after that. I, without having Andrew by your side. It was different, but I mean, at this point, we've been doing it for so long that I think we like different. We just want to keep trying new things, and yeah, it was it, it it was a good experience. Also, we've been like actually talking like about throwing, like potentially you know wanting to do something with Andrew again in the future at some point, uh, <clears throat> especially since we like did you know seventy five percent of our catalog with him. Um, yeah. He's like I guess, the I guess yeah like, like really the only stuff we didn't do with him we did the phage with Tommy Stinson from their placements producing it that was the only time we had a producer and then we did uh the dispassionate uh whatever that one's called um hi-fi television dispassionate EP we did that with Dan or Danny Nagaris and uh then yeah, we did the die yeah. Danny McGarris. Do you think maybe you like showcase the the songwriting and maybe the the poppier stuff differently with die? Like I'm thinking about one way or another, and that feels like a song that like leans into the pop and maybe like more confidently or just like unapologetically in some ways. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's that's probably the right way to put it. Um, I think that, like. Yeah. I at least like tried to maybe mask a little bit of the poppier side of the songs that I wrote, like with attitude and stuff. And I think that song is maybe the first time that I was like, oh, I just want, I'm just writing hooks and melodies and I don't really feel the need to, to disguise it or add anything onto it. 
which is hard because sometimes I listen to that song now and I'm like, ooh, it's a little, maybe it's a little too poppy. But um, I don't know. I love that song. at all to kind of get a gauge on like the response of these newer tunes without having shows to play yeah i mean we just started playing shows again uh we just played the troubadour the other night and that was it was really good and and the it feels like our our you know the people who like our music really like the new stuff and that's exciting um it always takes a long time for for us to get a gauge on how how it really went like a new record yeah like what's working what's not it's uh it's i think though like with like living dummy and like um the phage and even bulls and roosters we were on the road so much like in battle act too like you know around battle act we were on the road like sometimes like eight months out of the year yeah uh in like 2014 2015 so we would play a lot of new material we would try stuff out a lot more often and in the last uh, couple of years i mean even like pre-pandemic i'd say like 2017 onward we kind of stopped touring as much we still tour quite a bit but like you know I think we do like more like six months out of the year is like the most that we do now. Whereas like that was kind of like, you know, the bare minimum for probably three years or something like that. We're on the road for up to nine months sometimes. Uh, so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is like, yeah, there was, there was a time like where what we would do is we would like try stuff out in front of the crowd a lot more often. And uh, this is definitely like the unique exception because yeah. of COVID you know we weren't we the first time we played any of these songs live was uh san diego our first show back which was what two months ago now three months ago yeah it's been fun playing the new stuff for people again i feel like people like it a lot and we like playing it a lot like we just rehearsed today and we only played stuff off the eye because i think we're still just excited to play that stuff we're still not like we're still like figuring out those songs too like we're not i was talking yeah, but... yesterday with william about how it's strange right now even too because we just put an album out and this is the first time we've put an album out and we're the tour <laughs> yeah. isn't happening yet you know usually like we have an album out and we're yeah. on tour immediately um or you know even on tour prior and the album comes out while we're on the road or something like that um so this is like the first real time that we're still like we're rehearsing just kind of learning the, the stuff that we yeah. made in the studio and figuring out how to do it live you know so it's definitely like a different experience but yeah we played a we did a small tour um a few months ago and uh we just did the troubadour and played a bunch of the new material and it all went over really well there might be like one song that we might cut 
but like I think that it's so far so good and I think that it's you know I'm excited for us to like really get on tour and start doing it yeah get to really like dial things in and figure out what works the best and figure out how the new songs fit into the set list and whatnot yeah which takes a while like it does you know it's probably not even till like halfway through like a u.s tour that we start to really like hit our stride yeah (laughs) like that was the weird thing about this we just did like a tour hard to even call it a tour but we did four shows we did a san diego las vegas tucson and phoenix and like it was really weird doing that short of a like run because by the fourth show we're like okay cool like starting to feel starting to get yeah starting to get good it's always (laughs) like the songs we really like I don't know. Every like we get so much better at playing the songs on tour. The tour is like the best place to like get the songs tight. Like one of these days we gotta like write the album, take it on tour, and then record it after. Cause we yeah. really like change stuff. There's even there's even stuff now, like in the rehearsals. It's we're playing like we play nervous and there's like different vocal harmonies that I wish were on the record. Yeah. But then, you know. It's a good reason to come to the live show. I feel like the songs are better live. Yeah, I think I think it's always fun when the the live show is is a little different, you know, and you don't get the exact yeah. same experience. I mean, it's it's not it's not fun when you go to a live show and uh, you feel like there's something missing. But for it to be different in a good way and to have these moments that you're not used to is always a good thing, in my opinion, usually. And it's so yeah. rad to like get to see a band towards the end of a tour. You know, once everything is really dialed in and it just feel, it feels so tight by the end of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, Die is definitely my favorite record from you guys. Nice. Oh, it's great. It's fucking oh, rad, yeah. man. That's what we like to hear. What's up? Uh, <laughs> I, was watch- <laughs> I was watching the music video for Rapture earlier, and that's a song I did quite a bit. Like, just love the heaviness and that that punk rock attitude is is definitely there and present but i think it really like the music really matches the the angstiness of the lyrics on that track and those are some of my favorite lyrics on the on the record as far as like just that that hook of it's superstition baby keep your your religion from me it's not some king returning it's just a country burning i thought it was just like such a cool observation on the the current state and a cool way to deliver that message yeah i think at that at the time that that song was written i think australia like all of australia was on fire um which was that 2020 no that was 2019 it was just directly before the pandemic so like it's already sort of forgotten about and you know outside of australia but do you remember like australia was burning for like months so what you're saying is well, William's actually a prophet and he wrote that song before the pandemic and all of the uh, exactly you know, the division of the country and whatnot. Yeah, that's that was like literal fire. But um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I I, I, I I like the lyrics of that song too. And it, it, that song especially so far has been really fun to play live. Um, and we're stoked to play it more.
as far as bands you guys have toured with over the years? Is there someone in particular that's maybe had the biggest impact on you guys as far as the way you operate or just kind of like left a, a lasting impression? I don't know, maybe Twin Peaks. Like, I feel like they, I don't know, they were just so great every night. Like, I love that band. And uh, I didn't know them as well before we went on tour with them. And um, I don't know, just that was a, that was a cool tour. Yeah, Twin Peaks um, got to tour with uh, both uh, this band called Dead um, and this band called La 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 La. I feel like those were like some of the funnest uh, tours we got to do in the recent years. Um, Yeah, that that tour that tour we did with Dead and Vundabar um, was really great. And also, we did another tour with uh, Tijuana Panthers and Ultra Crew. That was that that was like a really fun. That was our last tour before the pandemic. um, Those two tours, and I feel like those were both very solid. This isn't a tour, but as far as learning things from playing with another band live, I remember we did a, uh, it was like a battle of the bands thing, like some like warehouse complex with Fiddler and I forget the name of the other band, but we were all set up kind of in a circle and each band would play a song and they would go from one band to the next band to the next band. And at this time, I think I was still not even using a tuning pedal live. Like, I would just tune by ear because I'm an idiot or whatever. Like, it, we, we didn't – I think I was out of tune. We didn't rehearse very much. And so, like, in that little thing, like, Fiddler would play a song and they would sound great because they sound great because they're a good band. And then we would play and it sound like trash. <laughs> and, and I think I was just like, oh, yeah, like, you got to tune and you have to rehearse. Like, those are important things. Yeah, like trying is uh, probably a good idea sometimes. Yeah, like caring about what you sound like. And I think that they taught us that lesson, and that was, was a good lesson to learn. They were definitely one of the bands that helped us with that. Um, I mean, I don't even think we got that, though, that message until, like, <laughs> after Battle Act. Because <laughs> um, the Battle Act tour, we, which was still, like, probably a year and a half after that show, like... <laughs> We we're still a mess. <laughs> that was with White Reaper, and we were also impressed with them every night because they were very, you know, that was that, that was the phage. That was the phage. Oh, that was the phage. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. It was Moses and the Firstborn. Was the I think the, the battle, battle, battle the, the battle actoria was Moses and the Firstborn, but like, um, I think it took like, yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it was until the phage tour that we started really like, you know planning out how the set was going to flow making sure that you know we had what we needed every night in order to perform properly like tuners um (laughs) having a set list to look at yeah we used to just be like oh just call it out we'll figure it out like we don't have a set list it's fine um and then you know that would lead to us sometimes playing like a 20 minute set or something like that and people getting upset or just standing around having Uh, downtime like what are we gonna play now Yeah. yeah, we we started, I'd say, yeah, like 2015. Like, so that show William's talking about was probably 2012, um, maybe 2011, even. And it took us those took three us to four years to, to really like figure it start out. Taking it. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, yeah, that tour with White Reaper, that was a good one, too. I mean, like, 
we, they, I love the, I love those guys and they're very good friends of ours and they're one of the best bands in the world. I feel like they were, you know, they're younger than us and they immediately felt like they had everything dialed in really well. Like they were professional about the set, you know, and they were really good every night. And that was, that was really cool. Yeah. They definitely taught us a lot. Um, we've, we've been really lucky. Like we've toured with some pretty incredible bands. Um, you know, uh, there haven't, there hasn't really been too many bad tours. It's all been pretty, pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, we've been lucky in that respect. You feel like, uh, the psychedelic dreamy piano ballad of, of little line is uh is a cool representation of the the evolution of the band i think that we we were all really excited about it because yeah we i think every album and especially on eps we we like to just try something that's completely different than what we normally do um that song was written by eric who he wrote the, the 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 words and the melody and the chords and uh it was yeah we really enjoyed recording it and yeah, I don't I don't know that that's like a direction that the band is going in or anything, but um I think we always like to do that. Like just I, I, I like throw throw something in there that's that doesn't sound like other stuff we've done. Uh yeah. Turn Time is Definitely. also like that. It's kind of a like Absolutely. country ballad. Yeah, I had that in my my notes of like that kind of touching on like a similar a similar feel and it does like feel like you're exploring some territory that haven't hasn't like really been touched upon on any of the other records but yeah that little line just kind of also feels like it has some sort of like undeniable kind of beach boy vibe to it in its own unique way as well it does it's definitely you know a southern california song i'm gonna think of the trouble that those are like the moments on the record that probably reflect our personal tastes the most um as far as like what we listen to just as people outside of being in like a rock band i personally and i'm pretty sure everybody like we none of us really listen to a lot of music that maybe sounds like what we play like or like you know contemporary bands that are that we're like compared to necessarily well, I think that you you and Eric listen to a lot of, yeah, yeah a variety of, of different stuff that, yeah, isn't necessarily in our wheelhouse. But I think during, like, 2019, 2020, I was actually listening to, like, a lot of, like, Nirvana and Hole and, like, I don't know, like, 90s pop rock stuff. Um, but, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that 
what I'm saying though is mostly that I think like uh, those those songs to me like you know those are a more of a reflection of our personal listening tastes than some other songs on the record. Yeah. Um, I think that's like the little glimpse, you know, into like what we're in, what what our interests in music currently are. Um, for me and Eric. At least. guys have been playing music together for a long time now 15 20 years or so going on and what do you attribute to the sustainability of together pangea and just like your guys's creative relationship and obviously eric has been a long lasting member of this thing as well yeah uh i think um I don't know. I actually think like a band is like a relationship, right? Like we communicate well with each other, you know, and I think that we appreciate each other. Uh, we still get along really well, um, which I've been finding out is like kind of rare, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that we all appreciate what everybody else brings to the band, you know? I feel like we couldn't do it without all three of us and um and we all know that and i think that's important yeah i can't really imagine i mean it's kind of just yeah we're luckily luckily like we're you know not sick of each other as friends <laughs> yeah. uh so i think that that's like a big part of it yeah and i'd imagine everybody like remaining open and wanting to see change from record to record is also helpful in that yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's still fun too you know like it was it was really crazy to play our first shows back because there's parts of you know 2019 and 2020 where we were pretty much pretty much on the towel and we're just like all right this is it's been fun time to probably move on to the next thing um so it's been really cool to you know book some shows and sell some tickets and have it go right back to where it was beforehand. It's been really cool. Yeah, it is. It's cool that it is still fun. Like we played the Troubadour and that was one of my favorite shows that we've ever played. And if it wasn't like that, I think we would all, you know, be done with it, but it's yeah, it's still fun. Yeah. There's gotta be some, some fresh energy there. And, and I think just like, you know, not just from the musicians that are playing the shows, but for the, for the fans, for the people showing up, you know, we're all stoked too because we just haven't seen much music either. So I know like these yeah, first totally. few big shows that I've been to has just been, it's just been like, oh, this is this is the thing that I needed the, the whole time that I've been missing out on, especially if you go out to those things a lot. It, it really does like become a part of your like your community and like becomes your your like church in some way of like experiencing that with a bunch of people and those fucking sing along communal moments. Yeah. 
things like that. Like, feel yeah. real connection with the people around you, even if you don't know them. And you know, yeah, you don't really yeah. get that anywhere else. Uh, you know, maybe sports if you like sports. Um, yeah. But yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been really, it's been a cool couple months. Like, and I'm really stoked the album's finally out. And you know, we have the we're we'll playing a show next. Playing a show in ten days. And, um, Glass House, yeah. It's, yeah, it's been sold out for. To going on three months or so now so it's it's gonna be a fun it's gonna be a lot of fun very cool yeah well i appreciate the fuck out of you guys for giving me some of your time like i've i'm big fan of your your band and i've uh it's definitely been something that's been in my rotation ever since i stumbled upon it a few years ago and it's been a, a constant and uh as soon as i heard marijuana the the first single off a of die i was really pumped about this whole record and like we talked about throughout the conversation, I think it just like it threw in some new dynamics and uh, definitely a, a, a cool take on things. So thank you so much for uh, for hanging. Great. Thanks. Yeah, we appreciate hearing that. And, and thank you for for for, you know, having us on your on your podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, hopefully the hopefully the vinyl will be out soon. Yeah, I'll definitely <laughs> be uh, grabbing one of those whenever they're whenever they're around and. We end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline of the show, which is, it's a program. So if we could get the together Pangea, it's a program, we can uh, properly end this thing. Okay, Danny, do you want to do it with me? Uh, yeah. One, two, three, together Pangea. It's, oh, no, do we say our name? <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Let's we'll no say rules it's a program. That. It's a program. Okay, Danny, well, count us off. One, two, three. It's, it's a, pro a program. program. <laughs> <laughs> they nailed it, everybody. That's <laughs> William and Danny from Together Pangea. I'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, keep up with you. Stream the new record uh, for right now until those vinyls come out. And, uh, yeah, grab some other records. Check out the, the whole catalog if you're, if you're new to the band. And, uh yeah, again, thank you guys so much for your time. I want to play it out with one of my, my favorite tracks on the record, which is called Wanted Out. And uh, this one definitely gives me some of those those skater punk feels and really cool pop melodies, all all the things we, we touched upon. And just another song, Danny, where I feel like you just fucking, you crush the, the bass on this yeah, one and kind of gives me to, some of those. Like, I tried to Matt Freeman it pretty hard. That was the intention. <laughs> that, that is the, the Matt Freeman vibes all the way. And uh, I, I appreciated the hell out of that. So uh, thank you. Very fucking cool. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. And uh, that's the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, Los Angeles, wherever you are listening from.
big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.